Hi there. Thanks for showing up. I'm Josh. This is Dharma Punks New York. If you'd like to support my work, the Venmo is Dharma Punks with an X NYC. That's entirely how I continue as a Buddhist pastor. I don't charge for anything I do. And uh, so tonight's topic is reparenting in a meditation practice. To discuss what reparenting is, we also have to cover concepts like the inner child, the uh, inner adult, uh, the inter inner parent, and uh, some of the concepts about what establishes a kind of inner child or regressive state. Best way to start is to note, as I always do, that to achieve our most basic emotional and developmental milestones, we really need to start out life with a primary caregiver who keeps us in mind, who understands our needs, helps with difficult tasks, and delights in us. If we get that reliably, the parent doesn't have to be anywhere near perfect, just good enough, and roughly between 50 and 60% of us do get a good enough parent, we internalize a secure pay base and we know how to take care of ourselves, who to attach to and when to ask for help. We're more confident in stating our needs. But even if we have a good enough parent, a good enough mother, father, there still will be times of emotional wounds where needs will go unmet, attention will be unrepaid. Uh, you know, times that we need support will not be understood. And if there were patterns of being regularly ignored, discounted, treated as too weak to explore, if we were too needy, if we or we were told we were too needy, no child is too needy, but if we were informed we were too needy or informed we were too weak to explore, if we were constantly criticized, if we were placed in foster care, if we were shamed or abused, or if we were constantly relocated and forced to change schools, many of us will internalize a sense that some part of us is unlovable and, un, and is, un, is broken and undamaged. So no matter whether we have, though, a secure attachment style or insecure attachment style, the failures of that occur with any parent um, no matter how secure or adaptive the parent or tender tries to be, um, for children are very uh, overwhelming. They shatter our need to trust and depend on our caregivers. And the memories, if we kept them in mind, would destroy our sense of safety and undermine our our very core purpose in life, which is to connect with others. So all children, insecure and secure, avoidant or anxious, uh, children who are have been abused or not abused, all children keep the memories of neglect uh, and times they felt overwhelmed and ashamed. Whether these experiences were 
from unusual episodes or whether they were regularly regular daily occurrences these memories of parental failure or environmental failures are are what's called dissociated they are kept unavailable to consciousness they're held out they're what's called actively forgotten which means they're pushed outside of conscious awareness but that doesn't mean they are uh completely disappeared or completely forgotten they're just kept out of our memory system most of the time uh so we're generally unaware that these this entire history or memories of emotional abandonments and unmet needs remain in us frozen in time dissociated into what could be called a shadow or an inner child essentially we have in us a regressive self-state that when triggered becomes or regresses into a childlike defensive state where we rely on the earliest childhood strategies to get our needs met or at least to be seen or at least to protect ourselves so again we have these memories and experiences in our early life and previous you know child and childhoods and developmental states of times we felt overwhelmed abandoned and we keep these memories uh we push them we uh suppress them from awareness and they coalesce in time into a kind of inner child and this inner child becomes known to us when we are triggered into regressive early survival strategies and what does that look like well sometimes we'll suddenly throw tantrums we'll have emotional outbursts we'll throw or kick objects some people will crawl under covers when they feel overwhelmed abandoned disappointed in relationships some people will stay in bed and play sick some people will fidget suck on pens some people will binge, binge on sugar some people will watch the mind-numbing television of their childhood or rock and pace some people will become unable to perform basic tasks like dress or shower and some people will become incommunicative they'll pretend not to understand what other people are saying to them and all of these are the same defenses we employed in childhood to survive the times our parents were inattentive or overwhelming or we felt uh, abandoned by school friends and peers and stuff like that so whenever we regress to an earlier stage of development using uh childlike defenses we could be said to be uh under the thrall of an inner child and that's just the way therapists refer to it it's a helpful term because it does allow us to one understand that these are not the entirety of who we are they're not our essence they're just a uh a self-state that emerges under triggering situations in our present where we don't feel well taken care of or seen by others 
or where we feel disappointed in others. And then in the aftermath of regressive uh, episodes, very often we'll feel a strong sense of shame. The inner child who acted out now feels ashamed that they've acted out because in childhood, after a child throws a tantrum or feels overwhelmed or feels abandoned, then they blame themselves. So after we have a regressive episode, then we feel embarrassed. And over time, it just creates a repetitious cycle um, where we uh, we function very well in the world. And But then there are times where under the right circumstances, or I should say the wrong circumstances, when uh, we... Uh, don't feel important to others where we don't somebody doesn't return a call or somebody uh, criticizes us or whatever it activates a regressive defense and we cycle back to these old defenses and then we feel a sense of uh, shame and want to uh, disconnect now, the stronger these regressive impulses are in us, the more we'll compensate for the feelings of the inner child. We'll try to develop a life where we never have to ever experience the situations which activate our inner child. So we try to deal with the inner child by avoiding the inner child. One of the classic ways is workaholism. We'll try to attain status and financial rewards to make ourselves feel uh, completely lovable and completely safe with the idea that if nothing, if, there, if no conflicts or disappointing interpersonal events occur, then we'll never have to worry about falling into one of those temper tantrums or depressive hiding away in the under the covers or binge eating sugar or what have you some people will compensate for their inner child by seeking careers that get them a lot of attention uh if you've ever met people who work in the performing arts not all by any means have uh regressive tendencies but many do trust me there's a real tendency to compensate for these uh these uh inner wounds by trying to achieve ongoing attention so that we never have to have the inner child be activated we never have to ever feel alone or feel unseen by others some people will becomes extremely self-reliant to vo avoid ever depending on other people as a strategy to not uh, ever be triggered to feel safe in the world. Um, and other people try to deal with the inner child, believe it or not, by a, an unconscious strategy of repetition compulsion where they continually date people that remind them of the abandoning parent <laughs> with the idea that if they can get love from these abandoning parent figures, then they'll never have to feel lost, lonely, overwhelmed uh, again. So 
Yeah, those are some of the strategies. Workaholism, uh, attention-seeking careers, extreme self-reliance, and the repetition compulsion of dating emotionally unavailable people and trying to win them over as a way to finally rewrite the childhood and all the experiences of neglect. So one of the oldest strategies um, is in therapy to create a safe container that in some way the therapist um, compensates for these wounds, these abandonments that, and where the, the care, the, the therapist creates an ideal, what Winnicott called holding environment where a, a client will go in and feel completely safe and feel the attention will never be taken away for them during the hour uh, they're with the therapist. Um, and in fact, um, back, I think in the 60s or 70s, there was a movement of a kind of extreme reparenting approach in therapy where therapists would literally um, encourage their clients to to regress to earlier stages of development. And then the therapist would act like a parent in some in controversial cases, holding or feeding their clients, spoon feeding their clients. And of course, this strategy, um, very controversial, understandably, it leads to an extreme over-dependence on the therapist, and it can create even worse feelings of abandonment and neglect when the because most therapists expect to be paid for their work. So the client now has this kind of surrogate mother figure who's asking to be paid, and that's not emotionally very healthy or restorative either. So... And my experience, inner reparenting is best practiced by individuals themselves, not by, I mean, when I meet with people as a Buddhist pastor and, and offer Buddhist, uh, kind of Buddhist psychotherapy, but I'm not acting like a compensatory parent. I'm more giving them the tools that will they use on their own and one and some of the tools fall under the category of reparenting um, which is done by the individual themselves so inner reparenting can be thought of having where we discern three distinct parts of ourselves. one part is the normal mundane ego state that we're in most of the time where we're completely unaware that in us there's an inner child always observing our life behind the scenes always on the verge of you know easily being overwhelmed or frightened or has very strong needs and that these needs are very often expressed to us through feelings negative feelings such as sadness loneliness fomo fear of missing out or you know tantrums that and we can 
instead of pushing through life in our mundane ego state, we can be aware that these um, negative affect states very often are signaling that the what we could call the inner child or the part of ourself that holds all of the wounds and abandonments of our life is beginning to feel vulnerable is beginning to feel a sense that it might undergo be neglected is beginning to feel overwhelmed and it's that point that we have an opportunity to leave our mundane ego state and become what i would call an inner parent which is quite different from the way we normally relate to ourselves. When we're an inner parent, we're curious about our emotions. We allow space in our bodies for the emotions to arise. And we tell ourselves it's okay to have these feelings. And we begin to get interested in how we can skillfully protect this inner child. So what are ways we can skillfully protect the inner child without relying on the regressive tendencies of, you know, crawling into bed, hiding, uh, binge eating, throwing tantrums, um, uh, giving up on life entirely, uh, pretending that we don't care, pouting, becoming overly uh you know uh just avoidant well adult compensatory and adaptive um uh, coping strategies are one we start by setting boundaries in the relationships that trigger us we don't put ourselves and rule and boundaries don't start with other people they start with ourselves we as a parent to the inner child we make an agreement not to put ourselves in the situations where we've been triggered so if that's a situation in dating or a situation at work or a situation with friends where in the aftermath there's this spiral into a regressive overwhelming state we promise ourselves not to put ourselves again into those situations that will trigger the inner child into these full-on regressive states so we have to be instead of feeling ashamed of our inner child we have to protect our inner child if there's interpersonal situations if there's behaviors that we have in relationships or friendships or work where we are constantly feeling neglected or taken advantage of or pressured into doing things that aren't we don't feel good about we have to refrain from these endeavors to take care of ourselves two we have to start changing the way we talk to ourselves after we've experienced emotional wounds or setbacks moving from critical or shaming ourselves to kindness relating to the hurt inner child not as a strict parent would like why am i so upset or that just goes to show me i should never do that we stop thinking in the first person like i can't believe i'm so stupid 
And we move to third third person statements because when we think in the third person, we're generally far more kind. And we'll say, well, you deserve to be happy. So take more time and ask for help. So we start changing from first person inner dialogue to third person inner dialogue. And we talk to ourselves like we would talk to um, uh, a child that we like, but not in a kind of talking down, just in a caring, compassionate way. And we then can rely on healthy self-soothing strategies that calm the inner child healthy self-soothing strategies as opposed to the tantrums i mentioned earlier um we call a friend we change our environment instead of crawling into bed or playing sick or binging on food we change our environment we go outside we find another soothing peaceful space people go all the time to either spiritual centers or galleries or museums or um go to parks even if it's cold uh finding a place that will give them a new set of stimuli some people will look at love images of loved ones or images of favorite places images from holidays we've taken or vacations some people will look at burning candles or soft lights we might want to re-listen to records that are songs associated with positive experiences in our life or recall a favorite memory so all of these are strategies that we can rely on to soothe the inner child they're not about hiding they're not about um so much trying to when we're feeling abandoned immediately get attention no matter what they're about soothing in a way that we won't feel ashamed of in the aftermath and i generally find it's very important for adults to have long lists of self-soothing strategies that they can rely on so that when we are triggered uh, after visiting our families going on dates having conversations with work colleagues or bosses uh going through difficult conversations with friends getting difficult financial news and so on and so forth it's important to have a long list of soothing self-soothing strategies then we move into the meditation practice of of reparenting which is we might uh practice what is called secure priming and there's lots of different uh contemporary therapists like Daniel Brown Sam Elliott Omri Gilead Angela Rowe Emily Gold in England Amir Levine and so many others who talk about how visualizing figures who would have been ideal parents in our childhood or could be ideal partners for us now in our adult lives will significantly reduce our sense of vulnerability our feelings of rejection our sense and it helps us install a secure base in Buddhism these practices are called Deva Nusati and Buddha Nusati and we'll do a little bit of both in our meditation 
it's not unusual in religious practice, I should note, that people reparent themselves by having a belief in a god or a godlike figure. Um, if you listen to what observant individuals or religious scriptures, how they refer to God, it's generally as an ideal parent who's always by one side, a source of care, one who's always forgiving, always appreciative. So in many ways, uh, people who believe in God have this kind of, they're really what they're doing is uh, instilling an internal image of an ideal uh, parent figure as a way to compensate for the deficits of childhood. And even though in Buddhism, I I'm a atheist, um, but uh, as most many Buddhists are, um, uh, essentially Bud the Buddhist council is officially uh, an atheist spiritual practice, but you can believe in God if you want. But in Buddha Nusati, what we're doing is holding in mind an image of an ideal figure who was endlessly compassionate, caring, uh, attentive, soothing, and appreciative, all the characteristics of a secure caregiver. So holding an image of a Buddha-like figure in whatever shape you give a Buddha figure, whatever gender, whatever ethnicity, whatever age, whatever characteristic, uh, is very helpful in reparenting. And sometimes reparenting can simply be a future self-visualization -visual where we imagine ourselves 10 years, five or 10 years into the future, um, where we instill a, a sense that we've developed new capabilities and skills. And we imagine what this more kind, more resilient, more uh, uh, skillful version of ourself, how they would appear. And then we ask that future self for guidance and care. So uh, that's a little bit of a explanation into reparenting, why it's important and how it's practiced. And so for the meditation, what we're going to do is first do some self-soothing practices, because the more we are, our nervous systems remain in homeostasis, the less likely we are to uh, activate our inner child, who's forever generally feeling vulnerable enough as is, but the more our nervous system is calm, the more we'll have an inner child that we can work with. And then we'll do both a future self-visualization and a Buddha Nusati visualization practice. The Buddha Nusati practice is about 2,500 years old. So I thank you for listening and find a really comfortable seated position where you don't have to look Please don't look at the screen. Uh, just uh, find a position where you can relax 
you can even position yourself so the, the camera can't see you. If you have your camera on, whatever works for you. And I think it's generally best practice to close the eyes for visualization practices. Hard to visualize with our eyes open, but if you want to meditate with your eyes off, open, by all means, just look at something that's soothing, like a window. But if you close your eyes, just bring your attention within to the um, body and find some sensation where you can land your attention. Most of the time our attention is either floating around the visual field around us or it's focused on thoughts, worries, So what we want to do is actually bring the attention to interoception, awareness of the feelings and sensations occurring inside our bodies, sensations that no one else could see or be aware of. And find a set of sensations that are soothing For some of us, it might just be a warmth in the heart center. Could be a the area around the eyes, if the eyes are settled and relaxed. Could be area of the abdomen, or the palms of the hands. Just find an area, a set of sensations internally that feel soothing enough and spacious enough that you can comfortably rest your awareness what we call an anchor in meditation, a place to return and relax. And for a while, our practice is going to be just returning to this anchor. What will happen is eventually your circuits of your brain, uh, all people's brains kick in when we feel relaxed internally, that want to, that lose interest in this safe place and basically chase after drama, thoughts about the future or past, 
And every time we find that happening, we just gently, without any sense of doing anything wrong, or the practice is in returning to the anchor. It's not in being perfect and staying focused. The practice is in the becoming aware we've drifted away, bringing our attention back without any sense of self-criticism or any sense that there's any that there's anything wrong with drifting away now if it's really difficult to stay with your breath or a warm feeling in your body that feels relaxing you can add in the sounds around you as a way to stay present and not drift off into the netherworld of those kind of virtual realities the mind can create. So if you need to return to the sounds around you at times, as opposed to the feeling of the breath moving up and down the body, or the feeling of ease around the eyes or in the palms of the hands or wherever else, that's fine. So let's just practice for a while.
So at this point, we can do some practices to encourage a kind of reparenting in our practice. So bring to mind, if you'd like, a memory of an event that was challenging recently. An interpersonal event that was difficult to understand, that felt disappointing. And rather than retell the story, just see if you can summarize this event in an image or in a very succinct, simple phrase, no more than a few words, or an image. So if it was a fight with a friend or roommate, a feeling of disappointment with a partner or a family member, a missing of someone, just hold that person's image in mind or just a simple statement and see if you can find the vulnerable feelings associated with the part of ourself that is really most frightened or lonely or sensitive to abandonment or disappointment. Generally, the inner child is not so much a thoughts as just feelings in the body, letting ourselves know that something has rekindled those old times we felt most overwhelmed from childhood. And just allow room for these feelings And if these feelings were a child you cared about, and you should care about your feelings, how could you, in a meaningful way, reassure this part of yourself? What promise or care could you offer? What change or boundaries could you set?
the times in childhood we felt most abandoned were the times our emotions were not understood by our caregivers, where our caregivers were too busy or disinterested to pay attention. So we can change our relationship with this vulnerable part of ourselves simply by being curious about our most vulnerable feelings emotional states in that way we're not neglecting the inner child so letting go of the image or whatever content is in your mind. And now let's do a little practice of imagining we could jump into a time machine into the future and we could meet ourselves five or even 10 years from now, an older, more confident version of ourself. Imagine the self is far more secure in their world, wiser, more patient, more resourceful. This future self is engaged in a lot of stimulating, interesting activities, but they can stop and pay attention and look at us with warmth. And allow this future self to transfer to you all the tools you'd need to take care of even the most vulnerable, frightened, petulant, timid, angry parts of yourself. Imagine this future self, your future self, offering some kind of gesture, some kind of image of them bestowing on you the kindness, patience, forgiveness, the wisdom to know how to protect the most vulnerable parts of yourself.
And lastly, allow the image of yourself now to change into an image that conjures up perfect love, care, kindness, tolerance, patience, resilience, curiosity, attentiveness, just conjure up your own internal image of a Buddha figure in whatever shape or form There's no right image of the Buddha for this practice. But just knowing if you can visualize what a perfect or compassionate or endlessly patient being, if you can endow it, represent it in your mind, then already you'll be able to conjure on your own some of these characteristics. So that's our practice for tonight. Whenever you feel ready, you can open your eyes.